rather you live your life in vanity You traded all your hopes and dreams for insanity this is the Restorative Justice Ministry of the Diocese of Austin. I'm Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin. And with me today is Renee Brown, our Director of Pastoral or of uh, Counseling, excuse me, for Catholic Charities of Central Texas, and Deacon Ronnie Lostavica, our Director of Pastoral uh, Care for the Gatesville region, which is essentially he and I in service to the incarcerated, to the officers uh, who work uh, in their livelihood there, and uh, anyone else who passes through those doors of the prison systems. And we're in our third session now on anger management. So many good things in the first two sessions. If you've missed them, don't worry. We'll repeat things along the way and introduce new things as well. Um, Today, we wanted to start, uh, Renee, with you uh, addressing what are known as personal or core beliefs? How do those uh, enter into this discussion Mm -hmm. about managing anger? So when you think about um, anger, um, many of us pick up our lifelong habits of, of anger and how to deal with anger when we were children, you know, and it's based out of examples that our parents uh, set for us. So one of the things you could do is look at your own anger and see where maybe it's derived from parents and how where their anger derived from and how they handled anger. So that kind of gets us into core beliefs and how our core beliefs affect so much of what we do. So if you think about core beliefs, core beliefs are the central ideas that we have about ourselves. It's our beliefs that we have about others and, and just the world around us. Uh, and these beliefs Um, Think of it like um, it's a lens. It's a lens through which you're going to see every situation and and life experiences. And because of this, people, every person is going to have some different core beliefs. And they're going to feel differently. They're going to behave differently. And they're going to manage their emotions differently. Um, Even if a core belief is somewhat inaccurate, it still shapes the way a person sees the world. So um, I think that's a very helpful statement right there. For example, I have shared in segments before that I was sexually abused as a child, right? So I had certain beliefs about myself that were completely inaccurate from that situation, but it still affected my ability or it affected the way I shaped the way I saw the world. So sometimes there can be harmful core beliefs that lead to um, negative thoughts, feelings, behaviors, um, uh, or irrational beliefs about self. And and thus maybe some of those feelings that are under that surface of anger can come from some of those harmful core beliefs that we've created about ourselves. So just to kind of give you an example, this is from Therapist Aid. I love their stuff. And so a core belief could be, I'm a failure. And so the thought is, of course I failed. Why even bother? So then you feel sad or you feel depressed, and your behavior is maybe you make no changes. Or it could be that you're angry and you act out. I'm a failure. You know, of course I failed. My mom says I failed at everything. You know, so then you feel really bad about yourself. You may feel disrespected. You may feel abandoned overwhelmed, frustrated, and so then you may act out and throw stuff when you fell, or you may 
practice self-harm, or maybe you want to react and hurt somebody else. A core belief could be, I'm perfectly capable when I give my best effort. Thought, I did poorly because I didn't prepare. Maybe I feel disappointed, and so I'm going to study more the next time. So you can kind of see those were two different styles of core belief, right? One was more negative, and one was more more on a positive note. And so your thoughts and your feelings and your behaviors are going to be different based on those core beliefs about yourself. So some common harmful core beliefs could be, and remember that core beliefs are often hidden under that surface level of beliefs, right? Like that thing, well, nobody likes me. Or, you know, my friends only spend time with me because they feel bad for me. My family accepts me accepts me because they have to because I'm their kid or whatever. So it can be these harmful um, core beliefs like helpless, like I'm weak, I'm a loser, I'm trapped, unlovable, I'm going to end up alone, nobody likes me, nobody loves me, uh, or feelings of being worthless, I'm bad, I've always been bad, um, I don't deserve to live, I'm worthless, or external uh, danger, right? The world is dangerous. People can't be trusted. Nothing ever goes right for me. So those would be some harmful core beliefs. And if you have those within you, then some some experiences you could have, like in your personal interactions with others, could be dif- difficulty trusting people or maybe excessive jealousy. Um, maybe you're aggressive. You're confrontational, you know, in an aggressive sort of way. Maybe you put other needs before your own, or maybe you're highly self-absorbed, um, and you may feel like you're inadequate in relationships. And this can cause you to develop different mental health issues like depression, you know, anxiety, substance abuse, um, low self-esteem, and that uh, can cultivate difficulty in managing stress. So <clears throat> some facts about core beliefs. Uh, people aren't born with core beliefs. They're learned. And they're usually learned at home. They're learned from parents or situations. Sorry, you guys. I needed a drink all of a sudden. Um, core beliefs can also be developed out of traumatic events that that people experience during childhood. Um, or information, sometimes information that contradicts your core belief, but you've been it's been ignored. Um, and core beliefs, if they're negative, they're not true. Even if they feel true, they're not necessarily true. Core beliefs tend to be rigid and longstanding, right? So if you develop a core belief about yourself as a child and now you're 40, it's probably become more rigid. And you've kind of ingrained it, but you always have to remember it's not who you are. It's just something that you've learned and you've believed. It's become your core belief. This is why often, um, like when we're working with teenagers or preteens especially, and the parents are like, um, they're driving me crazy. They're misbehaving. Well, what's happening at that, that in uh, around that child being 12, you know, going into puberty, they've had these core beliefs. Now they're around so many other people and there's maybe a shift in thinking and core beliefs. And so um, just some thoughts on how maybe some of your, if you're dealing with some uh, anger issues, that frustration being overwhelmed, abandonment, disrespect, it can come out of this 
these core beliefs that you learned as a child. And one of the other things that we had discussed early was earlier was empathy and how so many people, um, my thought was, oh, everybody's empathetic, but they just choose not to use it. And then just after doing some research, um, empathy is that thing that is is uh, often for some people it's natural, but for other people it's learned. It's a practice. We have to teach people how to be empathetic. And so sometimes when we're dealing with some of our anger issues, you know, it's important to be able to take ourselves out of that situation and maybe look at it from a different perspective and putting ourselves in somebody else's shoes to maybe get to the core of what's going on. Well, so much of the anger that we have uh, it in our general society today, it would seem to me stems from lack of even attempting empathy. Mm-hmm. I have a core belief politically. I have a core belief in terms of how to incarcerate people and rehabilitate them. And um, I'm not going to back down from that. And I sure don't need to to listen to what you have to say because it's not going to line up with, with what I think and I'm not changing. So mm-hmm. why should I listen to you in the first place? But I'm angry all the time. So how how can I how can a person shake some of their negative core beliefs if their will, the spirit of God enters into their life, is pushing them in that direction? How do you disengage bad core beliefs? You know, I found this really great handout that that I forgot that I even had, and I love it. It's called the wise mind. And it says that the mind actually has three states. You have the reasonable mind. You have the emotional mind and you have the wise mind and everybody possesses these three states, but most people will gravitate towards one or another at a specific time. But when we look at our emotional mind, that's a person that uses their reason, it says a person uses their reasonable mind when they approach a situation intellectually and they plan and they can make decisions and they're basing this on fact. The wise mind refers to a balance between, well, let me go back. I want to give you that one at the end. So the emotional mind is when feelings, when feelings control a person's thoughts and behaviors. They might act impulsively they, uh, and they may have little regard for consequences. So this kind of reminds me of that person that's acting out, you know, in anger. You know, they're throwing things. Uh, they're not being rational, they're punching walls, whatever that might look like. That's because they're in that um, emotional state of mind. They um, they just feel like they can't control their thoughts and their behaviors. They're being impulsive all over the place. So the whole idea is you want to be you want to align with the wise mind. And that refers to a balance between being reasonable and emotional. And this person is able to recognize and respect their feelings while responding to them in a rational manner. I think this is important, too, because we often don't respect. Sometimes we don't respect or recognize our own feelings or that of others. And so and what you're talking about, you know, with the way the world uh, so much of what's going on in the world with um Deacon Ronnie said earlier, tolerance, there's so much intolerance right now in the world. We can't, you know, take on somebody else's perception. We're not willing to even listen to somebody. We're not willing to be empathetic and say, hey, maybe their worldview is different because of the experiences that they've lived. 
and how great it's going to be for me to have a friend or be engaged with somebody who's had these different experiences so that I can learn and grow more, which in turn could help with some of your anger. Part of the frustration that people are feeling and overwhelmed is because we don't really understand everybody's perspective, but we're not taking that time to be empathetic and put ourselves in somebody's situ- somebody else's situation and look at life through a different lens, that person's lens. So that is a uh, very good moment to shift over, Deacon Ronnie, to the things that you have. Um, if empathy is one of those things that are going to help us combat anger, what are some of the other things that come from this program that you're teaching that are, are put out there to help us combat anger? Sure. Well, what we've learned in this program is, first of all, we look at the the situation or the event. And um, what we're certainly uh, confirm what Renee has just said is, is we analyze, we do an, an appraisal. Uh, oftentimes, we're finding that our appraisals have been uh, a negative appraisal of the event in our past practices, which leads to the arousal. That's that, that natural button that gets pushed. Uh, and then it it goes into our behavioral actions. Our behavioral actions then lead to an emotional and behavioral consequences of that event. So that's the cycle. That's, that's the anger cycle. That It's a very predictable pattern. It's over and over mm-hmm. and over again. And so what we're learning is that um, we're trying um, uh, a different way to discharge the anger tension. Uh, one of the things we saw uh, mentioned in our uh, previous episodes was um, such as exercise. You know, we, we know that after, even after 30 minutes of exercise, the um, oxygenated blood goes to the brain for a few, few hours, and you're likely to, to think with greater clarity uh, about the matters uh, that, that you want to resolve. Uh, the other thing is to, to we're learning to, uh, there's different provocative situations take different approaches. So that we're not going to approach each situation the same way in, in regard to discharging the tensions resulting from the anger. Sometimes a strong assertion is reasonable in the situation. At other times, listening listening becomes the, the active part, which acts, makes better sense. So being able to, uh, to alternate the changeable parts of an environment uh, as well as removing yourself from the toxic setting uh, can be very effective, and and sometimes our response will be less uh, to be less directed to diffuse your anger, invoking parasitic beliefs. Um, so uh, all of this um, is is kind of the, um, is not to find middle ground, but rather to find ways to overthrow this dysfunctional parasitic beliefs. And those beliefs are very deeply rooted. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they have to be first of all identified, uh, reexamined, and then then um, dealt with accordingly. Uh, I think one of the things we find ourselves uh, having to, to escape, um, particularly in today's um, access to, to talk shows and particularly major news networks, if you will, is, is, is just to just simply escape the blame trap. Um, we live in a blame culture mm-hmm. that's nested in a, an anger, uh, an age of anger. Um, it's blame and anger. And like the air, it's everywhere. And, and although holding people responsible for their actions is socially functional, uh, the blame excesses, the extensions, and the exonerations are, are, are typically problematic. Um, and you, you'll, 
you'll commonly find these these big three blame factors in in parasitic anger patterns. First of which would be say the, the blame excesses. These include uh, you're always finding fault with that situation or that person. You're nitpicking. You're it's a complaining. You put your de, uh, uh, defective detection glasses on and you identify a defect or a mistake in another person and you see yourself in a justifiable and blaming the person and angering angering yourself over what that person does that displeases you. So that's that's the excessive blame. They're always going to find fault with that that soul. The other one is the extension of blames. You, you, you find yourself, you extend the blame when you demean, you put down or damn others. Uh, uh, our, our life in general. Uh, these extensions of blame include dehumanizing and depersonalizing others, um, such as declaring uh, the targeted person as an idiot or a creep or you fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And when you degrade others, uh, you believe that you are superior and you have a right to harm them. And that, that extension of blame or an, is another uh, factor, a major factor of, 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 of an anger-generating force. And then the last one that um, I mentioned, I'll mention is blame uh, exonerations. These are defenses against blame. Most people prefer to maintain a good reputation and positive public image. So blame affects how people think of you. So you engage in ego-preserving defenses that includes rationalizations, denials, and deflections. Just think of your pa- favorite politician, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what they do. <laughs> or your not favorite politician. Or your not right? favorite politician. Whichever, right. uh, whichever one sets you so, off in the way that you're looking to get set off. But, but all of that um, coupled together um, forms parasitic anger. I mean, and it's, it's, it, in essence, it, it's a distinctive pattern and it's even a cognitive signature mm-hmm. uh, that you're, you're developing for yourself. Um, what we're practicing in this program is to flip things around. For instance, um, and I'll give you some examples, um, we want to focus on the guys, uh, uh, we want to use an other-centered vision. We're, this empathy goes back to placing ourselves in that in that situation and being able to see in it from their side. That changes everything uh, most of the time. Uh, and for instance, um, you think of the of, think the action is intentional, uh, and thus you're, you're, you go right into blaming. But from a personal situation, you see the matter as situational. That's different, and thus you have understanding and forgiveness. So uh, another example would be you think that the act that you're experiencing reflects a person's character or disposition, and thus it's blamable and uh, condemnable. But you think about, but also the other situation, the personal situation view would say you think the act is explainable by what happened to cause the event, and therefore it's understandable and, and forgivable. So in essence, we're just stepping back. We're trying to make good appraisals of, of our intake instead mm-hmm. of going and reacting based on our, our parasitic beliefs about the situation. And only after we do that good work of the, of, of the appraisal can we, we approach the situation.
Um, this cognitive uh, reappraisal is a technique for, for taking a second look at any situation that you're confronted with to see if you can amend its meaning and wring out the excesses of what that event may be delivering to you. Uh, the idea is not to fool yourself in, into believing something that's not there or faking, or but, that, that's, but, but rather to honestly see a situation as it realistically uh, as you can at that time. And that oftentimes changes everything mm-hmm. if you'll do that. Renee, you had mentioned earlier about the cycle of abuse. And what I'm mm-hmm. hearing Deacon Ronnie say just now is with these combating anger techniques, that sounds like the type of approach where there's awareness, there's a way to follow through on that awareness, there's a holy desire of the will to say, I know that this is not in alignment with the way that the Lord would want me to, to be, so now what do I do? But um, – also, to address that cycle of abuse, to to kind of break the cycle of abuse, but mm-hmm. to break it, we got to understand it. So, what what essentially, how does the cycle of abuse enter into this whole discussion of managing our anger? So, the cycle of abuse um, looks like uh, tension building, um, an abusive incident, a honeymoon phase, and then calm. And we'll kind of talk through these. But when you look at tension building. Um, stress begins to grow um, from the pressures of daily life or just conflict that may be going on. And the victim may attempt to reduce tension by complying with the abuser. From the the abuser's, you know, kind of point, um, it could be all those underlying pieces of anger, you know, that that's coming out. That's how this tension builds. You know, they... Um, they also feel these pressures or they feel like a failure or they're feeling overwhelmed in frustration. And so tension builds in the relationship. And then there's often this abusive incident and it could be a verbal, a emotional, physical, it could be sexual abuse. And this includes anger, intimidation, threats, and other forms of abuse. So often this is anger that's, that's very out of control anger. This is that anger that's on that um, kind of the spectrum, if you would say that Deacon Ronnie was speaking of in our last segment where it's bordering rage and hostility, right? This person is acting out in this manner. And so typically in the cycle abuse, there's the tension building, there's the abusive incident in any form, physical, emotional, emotional could be, you know, you're ugly, you're stupid, you know, and these are verbal things. Um, and then it can become sexual abuse or, or physical in nature. And then there's kind of this honeymoon phase, right? And the abuser is apologetic. They may be begging forgiveness. Maybe they're they're appearing to be remorseful. And then they may even shower the, the person they've been abusing with um, affection and promises of change, et cetera. And then there's going to be this period of calm. And um, once again, the abuser may be offering gestures of of sincerity and maybe they're kind of reducing some of those uh, behaviors that stem from anger. And so that's what that cycle of, of abuse looks like. Tension building, abuse incident, honeymoon phase, and then this calm. And for this person involved in this cycle, um, this is anger that's definitely... Um, at a different level, right? This is that person that may be acting out of rage or hostility 
are things such as that. And the reappraisal strategy that I mentioned just a few minutes ago, um, that's a skill set that I think we, we all have to develop or work on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll just give you some examples of that. Uh, for instance, the strategy uh, might be, how can I look at this form from another's perspective? So uh, if a wise friend was in the same situation representing my interests, how would that friend see and do things differently? And uh, the friend would address the issue directly and honestly at the level warranted. That's, that's a good benchmark of measurement of, of, of being other-centered. How would my, my friend handle this? Taking me out of that situation kind of backs me off a little bit, makes me say, well, this is what so-and-so would do if maybe he or she was there. Mm-hmm. And then and same thing. Another way of, of the reappraisal uh, strategy would be to um, look at the situation from, as viewed from, many, uh, from different angles. Imagine yourself in a room with, with uh, say, multiple computer screens and each showing an area from a, uh, of a different camera angle. Uh, you get new information from each angle. Isn't that true? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to yep. see things at one angle that you wouldn't see from the other. So uh, here are five angles. Uh, what are the likely thoughts of the other person? Uh, what can I uh, agree to do? Uh, what is negotiable? Uh, where do I need to hold my ground? What is the worst thing that can happen if I walk away to revisit this matter at another time? So by getting new angles on the situation, I'm, I have more options uh, for better making a decision. And I think that's really critical is if we just we slow down, we make good assessments, mm-hmm. and we give ourselves uh, a time to, to rethink the, from, from those different angles. Um, the other uh, strategy question that is it possible to imagine yourself a thousand miles away from the stress event okay. and, and then reading about the event in last week's newspaper, if you will. If every sentence in the article contained objective observations and facts, that might make a reader say about the event. What um, might a reader say about the event 200 years from now? What um, when you create conditions to get distance from that excessive negativity, you're likely to think more clear-headedly. So uh, I found that I could create an accurate sta- uh, uh, statement of the situation and to delete the um, the impressions and beliefs that cl- clutter my mind. That mm-hmm. goes back to those uh, parasitic beliefs that you mentioned earlier, Renee. And I can conclude that the the, the situation hardly warranted the anger and distress that I was given it. <laughs> Um, and, and the situation would, would be a non-event 200 years from now. So, and, and I, so then I felt more in con- control of myself uh, and, 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 and less affected by the, the incident or the good. Mm-hmm. Well, among all these things that you two have been talking about for the individual to be able to get the self-awareness, uh, find out exactly kind of where are they on the spectrum of need for addressing uh, or managing their anger, giving them the tools, all of which you've covered. The one thing we don't want to fail to to encourage all of us is that by doing this work, not only are you going to feel better, you're going to be more physically, mentally, and spiritually healthy, and because this should matter to us, I'm going to have a different presence in the community in which I live. 
that by my healthfulness, I'm going to be spreading mental, emotional, and spiritual healthfulness to everybody else around me. And I have seen this among our incarcerated, a real and genuine desire to come to the aid, one set of people who who have a, a care for, for one person and one set of people who have a care for another, that when those two are in conflict, their groups, their care groups come to their aid and talk them out. It's kind of like what you see now that we've got football back. Um, it's what you see when uh, guys start to get teed off with each other on the field and their teammates come rushing up there to try and get them to calm down so that they don't make things worse than they already were. And uh, perhaps we can explore that helping one another aspect in our next session. For now, let me uh, thank everyone for listening today. And let me close with a prayer to free yourself from resentment. Mighty God, thank you that you give the gift of abundant, eternal life. May my life be free from resentment and filled with thanksgiving and praise for your countless blessings. Sacred Scripture teaches that you never fail to provide for your people. Set me free from resentment as I give thanks for your blessings and am assured that you will continue to generously supply my every need. May grace, mercy, and peace be with me from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Son in truth and love through Christ our Lord. Amen. if you walk with me, Brother, 